And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome everybody to Soccer 101. My name is Taylor Rockwell and on this week's episode we're talking about a topic that would appeal to my three-year-old daughter, prizes. Specifically prize money. That one maybe less so for her. Who gets it? How do they get it? When do they get it? I guess, where do they get it? Graham Ruffin, are we going to answer all of those things? Maybe not where do they get it, but a lot of other things hopefully we'll make clear. (laughs) Hello, Taylor Rockwell. Yes, hopefully we'll answer some of those questions. Believe it or not, soccer teams, they they don't just play for the love of the game. They play for money. Uh, Capitalists like capitalism. I know, shocker, but there we go. Big if true. Big if true. Yeah, so let's start right there, Graham. So players are obviously guaranteed their, their compensation. That's their own contracts. That's their wages, all that good stuff. Clubs can make money off of many different things, but prize money uh, for competitions, for the various competitions they participate in or win is a big part of that. And then you get into the international game as well with national teams getting prizes. Basically, there's a lot of money out there, but it's kind of tricky to get it. Yeah, points mean points mean prizes in the in, <laughs> in the broad scheme, the grand scheme of things. Uh, if you are participating participating mm-hmm. in a competition, that you, then you will receive some form of uh, prize money. Even if you finish bottom of that table, you will generally receive some form of uh, money. It's not like tennis. If you lose a match in tennis, you don't receive anything. Football is a little bit more forgiving than that. You don't get so anything? yeah, soccer teams. Yeah, really? if you. Um, if you lose a match, you, you only win. You only get your prize money if you win, yeah. And um, in tennis, which is pretty brutal, if you travel halfway across the world and yeah. then lose in your first round match, yeah. yeah. So soccer is a little bit more forgiving than that. They do soccer teams. Soccer teams do indeed receive prize money. Obviously, different leagues and competitions diff- uh, hand out in different ways. But yes, broadly speaking, the better a team does, the more money they will receive in the form of of, of prize money. It, it can get a bit confusing in the way that leagues will combine prize money and broadcast revenue together. So it's not, in the case of the Premier League, for example, it's not really kind of pure prize money. It's more giving you a bigger chunk of the broad re- broadcast revenue depending on where you've finished that season. So there are all sorts of different nuances and, and, and complications, yeah. but hopefully we'll try and outline it here in this episode. Yeah, and along those same lines, uh, accurate numbers can be a little bit tricky because you'll get different things reported from different sites who have different sources or different pieces of information. And then there is, obviously with some clubs and some individuals, a desire to obfuscate the amount of money that they have or or where that money is going. Uh, a good example of that would be the prize money due to North Korea for participating in the 2014 World Cup, I believe it was. They're not really sure that all of that went towards the North Korean FA as opposed to maybe mm. other areas of need within the country and that's an extreme example but i think you can get some confusing uh terms and agreements along the way but all that to basically say we might have some conflicting numbers we might have some conflicting numbers with what people at home have uh but that's okay we're going to do our best to wade through it and graham i think you've made an important distinction right there 
we we got a few questions regarding prize money, one of which was basically just like, who has this money? How, how is the FA able to award all this money? And the answer is they're not. Uh, it is, as you said, a large part of where you finish in, say, the Premier League is about the TV revenue. And for every single spot that you finish, you're getting an additional $2.7 million. I've converted all this to dollars for ease of uh, the American listenership that we have. Um, so in 2021, finishing first in the Premier League got you a a prize uh, like for just for the finishing spot of around uh, $54 million. Uh, second place would have been $51.7 million, all the way down to $2.7 million for finishing 20th. And that is only a percentage of the revenue because everybody is guaranteed a certain amount. But that's how they incentivize finishing in a slightly higher position, how maybe finishing ninth instead of 11th can make a big deal for your budget. Yeah, one of the most striking things about the Premier League, if we're talking about the the, the Premier League, mm-hmm. that seems to be our starting point here, because it is the most lucrative league, it's the, it's the biggest league, it's probably the league that most of our listeners uh, watch the most regularly as well. Um, but one of the most striking things was that when you factor in the broadcast revenue and the prize money and you and you um, look at that one big lump that every club receives at the end of the season, there's not as big of a gap between number one and number 20 that, mm. that, that I would expect. So you took the, the percentage, the, the prize money percentage. Um, Man City last season received £210 million, pounds, uh, uh, dollars, excuse me, $210 million from the Premier League as a whole. Um, and 20th place Southampton, poor old Southampton, um, well, it turns out they're not poor at all mm-hmm. because they got $159 million yep. last season. So the the teams near the bottom of the Premier League are, are looked after, let's just say, by the, by the prize money, by the revenue sharing um, model that there is in the Premier League. And that explains why you have like Brentford or spending like £30 million on mm-hmm. a player or Nottingham Forest spending like £250 million in a single window and being able to attract players from across Europe. Um, the Premier League is, is a financial behemoth and that is related yeah. to the prize money that's handed out. It is. And it's related to the fact that it's a breakaway league. They separate uh, from the English league system and then they eventually sort of come back together, but with the idea that the Premier League gets to keep a massive percentage of its money. Whereas, say, in the Bundesliga, there is a lower uh, amount for the actual TV deals. But then also on top of that, there is greater revenue sharing with the lower leagues, the idea that you are helping support uh, football clubs at various levels. Uh, Whereas in England, there is some revenue sharing with lower leagues, but not nearly as much. And that's where you get huge financial disparity between Premier League clubs that are established Premier League clubs and, say, first or second or even third division uh, clubs in England. Most most of the money that the Premier League sends down into the EFL is in the form of the parachute payments yeah. that um, relegated teams yeah, they try receive to like, for... Speaking of obfuscating, they try to like fold that in. It's like, see, it all the money we've given to the lower leagues? And yeah. then it's like, yeah, but wasn't like 80% of that to three clubs? And then they kind of uh, maybe don't answer that one and yeah. scratch see, that, their heads and walk away. See that giant gulf that is opening <laughs> yeah, right. up in the championship? It's becoming a real issue for the championship <laughs> and is threatening to sink a lot of clubs. Yeah, yeah that, that's down to you, the Premier League. So I, I don't know. Prize money is obviously a catch-all term. I don't know whether, whether we would count parachute payments as prize money because I guess you're receiving money for... Yeah some form of success in the sure. past um but yeah there are different ways to uh to, to to cut this cake and then i suspect it will it will differ on a case by case club by club league by league basis Graham. but what did you find in terms of how does that money reach the players so if a team finishes fourth in the premier league are they instantly getting are the players instantly getting more money for qualifying for the champions league and for that high place finish or is it 
largely a contractual issue. Yeah, so there are caveats here, right? So generally speaking, prize money goes into the pocket of the club rather than the players. But players will often have bonuses written into their contracts. So if they win the title, they get a, a certain cash bonus. Um, it might even be related to a sponsor. I remember Wayne Rooney received a Ford car, which is like, a t- I don't think they ever sold the car in America um, because it was too small for the American market. But it was like the smallest car. It's like a smart car. It was a Ford smart car, basically. Um, and he he got his first man of the match, I think, in the Premier League as a teenager for Everton. And so Ford, as a bonus, gave him this Ford car. I remember the picture of him. They drove it into Goodison Park for a picture with Wayne Rooney standing along, alongside it. 17-year-old Wayne Rooney. So that's a silly little example. But basically the point I'm making is that players receive bonuses, normally cash bonuses. They don't normally get cars. Um, so I guess you could argue that's coming from the prize pool of money that the, 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 the prize money is coming from. But no, it doesn't generally go directly into the pockets mm-hmm. of, of, of the players. Prize money is, is a key part of a club's revenue. So they would argue that they need uh, that money for other things like buying overpriced strikers in the transfer market. There you go. Uh, so largely speaking, uh, you're going to get prize money for where you finish in the table uh, and that seems to be pretty consistent but then just the amount you're making uh, can fluctuate pretty wildly Uh, and then you're going to get prize money for domestic competitions or international competitions a la the Champions League or Europa League I should say IE I think not a la but whatever it's fine Uh, but with the FA Cup for example I think the prize money for that is like just above what the difference is from like 10th to 11th i think it's like around 3.5 million or it was as a couple as of a couple of years ago and the league cup significantly less than that so even those sort of well the fa cup is esteemed i would say the league cup maybe less so but like that esteemed competition isn't going to net you a ton of income and yeah. give you a bunch of prize money and that's down to the broadcast revenue that's coming in for those competitions right there's just fewer far fewer games in the fa cup certainly at the the top level of the fa cup which is obviously what the tv companies are are buying they want the the third round onwards on tv um and so fewer matches means a smaller broadcast deal especially when comparing it to the premier league deal and so yeah there's only so much that the fa in the case of the fa cup can hand out in prize money so would it be fair to say then graham that when we're talking about prize money earned it's more the international game where players are going to be directly affected yeah so prize money in international soccer is is much more of a talking point um it is a slightly different landscape because fifa already makes payments to every federation every year from their centralized pot of cash their big uh, their big Scrooge McDuck room of gold coins that Gianni Infantino dives into every so often but you also have performance-related payments after World Cups and tournaments. So for the Qatar World Cup, FIFA allocated $440 million in prize money for the whole tournament, which was a big increase on 2018. That was $40 million more. Um, However, when you consider that FIFA's revenue for 2022 was around $5 billion, um, doesn't seem so much. Argentina took home $42 million of the prize money, and that, again, is a pretty huge increase on past tournaments. So we've had a, a, a pretty giant growth from 2002 when Brazil won it. They got just $8 million. And then you fast forward to Argentina in 2022, 20, 20 years later, taking home $42 million. And yes, I know inflation is a thing and all that, but nonetheless, yeah. that, is a, that is a big increase. So yeah, the national federations, national teams are receiving more money. 
but they are frequently making the point to FIFA who are demanding more and more for broadcast rights. I think there's going to be another increase yeah. for the next World Cup, which, World Cup, which is obviously getting bigger, expanded for 2026. So I'd imagine there'll be a big increase in the revenue of, of FIFA for 2026 and then onwards. Um, the federations and the national teams are arguing that they should be receiving more um, prize money for their achievements. So traditionally, international soccer does pay less in prize money than club soccer just because there's fewer matches at a World Cup or fewer matches that a team, an international team plays throughout the year. Um, but as I say, FIFA's revenue has grown and grown over the last 20 years to the point that um, that is, in some instances, the prize money from FIFA is starting to bypass what the leagues will pay out to even its champions. Couple things there, Graham. Uh, first, a a sad thing to present to you. A quick Google search tells me that thirty five dollars in twenty fourteen is worth forty four dollars and fifty seven cents <laughs> adjusted for inflation. Oh. So they really have just in- adjusted the price money accordingly with inflation. It did stand out to me as well that the amount of money that FIFA brings in, when you contrast it with the amount that they give out as prize money, there's a pretty sizable difference there especially for a nonprofit that's making all of its money off of those teams going and participating but at least they're giving something um uh, and it is a pretty big difference as well when you look at the men's game versus the the women's game uh for this last world cup in 2022 on the men's side uh the winner as you said got 42 million runner up gets 30 third place 27 fourth 25 and then you go down from there see tennis Tennis is brutal by comparison. Uh, quarterfinals, you're getting 17 million, round of 16, 13. And in the group stage, just for making the group stage of the World Cup, you would have gotten $9 million. Uh, by contrast, it is much, much lower on the women's side. Uh, the winner of the Women's World Cup, I believe, for 2023 was getting around $10.5 million in total. That would be $4.29 million uh, for the Federation, 270000 for each player. But even for making just the group stage, you're getting uh, 2.25 million, which is still cool. You're still getting a couple million for making the tournament, but that's still 7 million less than on the men's side. Mm. Uh, so there is that disparity in terms of the prize money, which certain federations, uh, the U.S. amongst them, uh, have tried to counteract by the players yeah. pooling that money. So uh, the prize money for the, that the men would have gotten for their round of 16 exit split between the the players on the men's team and then the women's team as well. And then same thing for the women's team when they went out in the round of 16, uh, that prize money was shared. So you get a balance there that's sort of maybe more player-driven and and uh, FA-driven yeah. or federation-driven than it is FIFA-driven. And and the US soccer equal pay um, episode or whatever you want to call it is, is really pertinent to this, this whole discussion because there's a lot of debate and controversy in international soccer around how prize money relates to bonuses so because international players don't have contracts like they do at club level they'll, they'll be insured and, and and things like that but it's not the same as a, as a club level contract because obviously there's differences between like you might get called up for one squad and then the next month you're not playing and and, and so on so it's a different situation to to club level so all payments are essentially bonuses and players often feel like they're they're being screwed out of money that they earn in prize money. So the yeah. Jamaica women's team right now, for example, are currently on strike due to a dispute over bonus payments from the Women's World Cup where they made the knockout rounds, did very well. They were one of the stories of that tournament. There was an issue with their bonus payments before the tournament. They kind of put it to one side. And I, I believe from what I've read in the reporting, it, that issue has become much, much worse. And essentially, the Jamaican Federation is withholding, this is the player's argument anyway, with, they're withholding the money that, that not only they feel they're due, but there is a the, there is a, a stipulation in the like the FIFA 
contract is probably the wrong words, but basically FIFA stipulates that that money has to be passed on to the player. It's a little bit it's a little bit different than it is at club level. So that is that's not great. And there have been uh, countless controversies like this in in the women's game in particular, as you say, Taylor, the, the U.S. soccer one not so long ago. Obviously, the U.S. soccer dispute was due to commercial revenue as well, but it feels like federations. Uh, they, they they feel like they can get away with pocketing the prize money without it affecting bonuses yep. because of all the old cliches about it being, you know, playing for your national team is about patriotism and national pride and, you know, players justifiably make the point they deserve to be paid what they earn on the pitch. That doesn't really wash that argument. Yeah, and, and it also, I think, factors in that it's the individual federations that oftentimes are deciding how the bonus money will be allocated and, and even how some of the the actual just money for making the tournament will be distributed. Uh, a famous example uh, being when the Ghanaian men's team, I think led by Asamo Gian in 2014, refused to take the pitch until they were guaranteed compensation. I think until they were presented with actual physical cash because the FA had been so disinclined they evidence. They to distribute cold, money. They wanted cold, hard exactly. evidence that the money existed yeah. and it was there. We, and, and I think more power to them because, uh, as I understand it, they had been not fairly compensated or in their minds not fairly compensated but then also just straight up deprived of payments that they were due that they had earned and so i think if you're gonna hold your federation hostage from money that they owe you what better place to do it than before a world cup where you very much need to take the stage or it will be a problem and a very high profile problem at that so you can still get that sort of federation interference and those issues with the federations along the way but it is still largely the case that that prize money at the international level is going to benefit you a little bit more uh, as an individual player. Graham, did you find anything different when it comes to club levels with some of those uh, continental competitions? Are, are players getting more if they win Copa Libertadores or the Champions League or even the Europa League? So I do have a, a list of some competitions here. I, d- I didn't um, look into the Libertadores, I have to say, but Premier League, uh, so I did a little table of prize money across the world um, for the winners. Um, just to keep it nice and sim- simple. So Premier League, I, I had the $210 million um, figure, which is including the uh, broadcast revenue. La Liga was um, $60 million. Serie A, $35 million. Bundesliga, interestingly, the number I found on a number of articles, more than one source, was $65 million, which is more than La Liga and Serie A. I might have guessed Serie A, but La Liga was slightly surprising to me. The Champions League, Manchester City took home $86 million um, last season. The World Cup, $42 million. We already covered that. Then the Women's World Cup, ten point five. MLS Cup... $300,000. $300,000. So MLS is, I don't know what you get for the supporter shield or for your regular season performance, but MLS Cup um, certainly lags behind some of the, the bigger kind of European competitions. And how reliant are do you feel that clubs are on that prize money? And, and if the answer is very, is that a good thing? Because it feels like having to kind of base your club's fortunes, specifically the financial fortunes, on where you finish can be good if you are prioritizing competition and spending a bunch of money to make your team good. But if maybe you're not putting in that investment, I could see how that could be a problem pretty quickly. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fairly reliant in that a lot of these numbers will actually come from the leagues and and, and competitions. So I know that's certainly the case with uh, with UEFA. They they were the ones that released that or, or published that they had paid. Manchester City, uh, what did I say it was, 80, 86 million, yeah, $86 million last season. And the Champions League, the way that they 
their model, their distribution model works. It kind of gets voted on by the clubs and there has to be an agreement, a broad agreement anyway. And so the Champions, the way the Champions League works, I think you get like $15 million for qualifying for the Champions League and then it's like $2.8 million per win, $900,000 for a draw. So basically, the, as you move through the tournament, you are earning more and more money until you get to, to winning the tournament, which is how Manchester United end up with $86 million. Um, it is... Worth mentioning that with the the new Champions League format next season, the prize money model is expected to change. So UEFA expects that with the extra matches, and we did cover this in a in a big thing episode fairly recently, um, UEFA expects that the the increased broadcast deals and revenue will result in an increase of thirty three percent in total revenue from its club competitions from next year from next season. So at the moment, the Champions League currently drives. Um, revenue of 3.6 billion euros per season and that is estimated to get up to around 4.6 billion euros from next season so obviously that is a a big increase so there will be a revamp of the way that prize money is allocated and the coefficient payments we covered coefficients on soccer 101 a couple weeks ago two or three weeks ago and there's this thing called coefficient payments and they are one of the things that could go from this model so these are payments that reward clubs for their historic success in europe they're a bit like similar to parachute payments in a sense that you know the premier league pays relegated clubs so if you win the champions league and then don't do so well for the next few seasons you will still financially benefit from winning that for the next three seasons so for example this season the coefficient fund will pay uh, 36 million euros to Real Madrid as obviously a past winner, recent winner of the Champions League. Whereas Maccabi Haifa, they, from the coefficient fund, which is classed as different to the prize fund and the, and the broadcast revenue fund, they will get from the coefficient fund less than 1.2 million euros because they just they haven't really been competing in, in European competition to, to speak of in recent seasons. So a lot of clubs want to get rid of this. Not Florentino Perez, of course. He wants to keep this coefficient fund in place. Um, but it feels like there's a good chance the coefficient fund will be merged into the standard prize fund. And that will mean prize money will, will grow for, for clubs in terms of a, of a single season. But then, just one final point on that. That kind of increases the jeopardy because it means if you're a club at the top and you have a couple bad seasons, your fall, your decline could mm-hmm be a terminal one like there's no way for you to get back up or there is a way but there's there's less chance of you getting back up to that level quickly so i think there are pros and cons with with this uh with this model if you are gianni infantino which first of all graham i'm sorry to put you in that position uh but secondly we know he wants to expand the club world cup we know they have plans to do so uh do you think it would be smart to just straight up say like we're gonna give a record uh, amount of prize money to teams participating, to the teams that win it, and to the players participating. If you just guaranteed a massive amount of prize money for players for even participating, but then also really ratcheted it up the further you went in that tournament, do you think that could be a good way if you're guaranteeing players' money and clubs' money to kind of guarantee a better competition that people actually care about? Or is money not always going to be the end-all be-all? No, depressingly, I think in soccer, at least at executive level, it kind of yeah. is the be-all and end-all. So yep. yeah, if FIFA, I was just Googling there, FIFA's cash reserves after the uh, Men's World Cup in Qatar um, it stands at 3.997, so $4 billion at the moment. They, it's what they have got on tap. <laughs> they That's are a non-profit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so they're, just, they're just keeping that for a rainy day, yeah. of course. 
Um, so if Gianni Infantino wanted to turn the Club World Cup into one of the best competitions in the world, you you know you you dip your hand into that pool of four billion dollars, you find some prize money. That is, yeah, you're right. That is a way to do that. Unfortunately, most of the FIFA executives stopped listening after you said dip your hand mo- hand into the prize <laughs> money. So uh, yeah, right there, I think we might run into issues. So so basically, Graham, prize money good helps clubs, especially if they happen to be a Premier League club. Sort of helps players in the international game sort of helps players as long as the federations actually pay them. It is a more, maybe not bleak, but a slightly more of a bummer thing than you would expect it to be. Because when you think prize money, you think these athletes who competed and worked so hard to get to this level, who are genuinely like world-class talents, aren't always getting that full compensation. But I guess at the same time, if your federation is employing lots of people and has like growing the game at a grassroots level in mind, maybe that's not the worst thing. It just doesn't always feel like that's the case with certain federations or even, or indeed most federations. Yeah. Soccer players don't really have that moment. Another tennis comparison here, but when you, when, uh, when the, the player wins the U S open as part of the ceremony, they have like the giant check. What I love about that ceremony is they have the giant check, they pose for pictures and then the, the tournament director will then hand them like the real check as if to like reassure them, like, don't cash this one. Like, this is the one. I always think that's funny they do it on the stage. Like, do they need to actually hand them the real check on the stage? Surely that can go to a manager or something like I, that. But I blame Happy Gilmore because in that movie, he does indeed deposit the real gigantic or the like gigantic <laughs> checks. And maybe somebody tried yeah. to do that and they were like, OK, we can't let that happen again. That's going to hurt us. We have to give actual checks this time. That does look less official and awesome overall. Uh, yeah, but- so they... They, they do that in tennis at the US Open. By the way, if you ever want to experience like the cultural differences between British and American people, go on social media whenever like a big check is handed over at a sporting event. Like British people, I don't know, like cringe or something. Whereas Americans are like, yeah, they got paid. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like a big moment. Um, I'm kind of in between. I can I can take it or leave it. I, I do like the big novelty checks. I have you to say I quite like one don't- of those in my house. Like rewarding people for their for their fair effort? Is that what so I'm saying? So in Britain, you don't talk about money. Like it's it's ah. like you never mention what you get paid or like what you earn as a prize. It's totally like you don't talk about it. So it's as I say, it's like a big cultural difference. Um, but yeah, there's not really that sort of moment when you win a, a soccer tournament. It goes to the clubs. I'm pretty sure Florentino Perez, when Real Madrid win the Champions League, he is cheering and maybe he arranges for a giant check to be delivered to him in the director's box, but the players don't really see that check. In Britain, you don't talk about money. Graham, has this whole episode made you uncomfortable? Uh, Kind of. Well, it's not my money, actually, (laughs) no. If it was about my price money, (laughs) which is a weird way to talk of like my general income, then yes, that would make me very uncomfortable. And you will get, uh, to your point about Florentino Perez, you will get owners or directors who will allocate additional funding or you'll get like special prizes a car a car for what like every saudi player after they beat argentina in the world cup but that's coming from i believe mbs less so the federation so even there you're not going to get that sort of guarantee of the income it really does end up just being about the achievement itself and especially when you're looking at the men's side of things the amount of money you're winning as prize money is what like your weekly wage maybe two weeks so it, it it is less so about that more so about the prestige of competing at that level uh i don't think that applies to the women's side of things that would be great if there were more money allocated to both uh to the individual players but 
that requires FIFA to not have four billion uh, in their coffers in their Scrooge McDuck bank, and that's just not a thing that they're willing to do right now. You got to pave that whole building in gold. It's too tricky right now, Graham. We can't afford this. <laughs> yeah, Johnny needs another house in Saudi Arabia. Come on, that's where that money's for. <laughs> no. Oh, another depressing reality we end on. Graham, anything else uh, that we haven't gotten to when it comes to prize money, how it's allocated, who gets the most, uh, all that stuff? Just how kind of reliant a lot of clubs are on, on, on prize money. And of course, it's folded into broadcast revenue, and it would make sense that they are reliant on broadcast revenue, given that is one of the biggest revenue streams that any club will have. But if you look at the Premier League, prize, prize money makes up at least 40% of, of every club's annual revenue, and in some cases it's, it's as much as 80%. And if you go down to the Championship, where clubs regularly spend more than they make in a season, as we've already covered, that is a real issue for that for that league. Um, prize money is completely crucial. So without that money, clubs would disappear. And it's the same in a lot of the big European leagues. Do you remember, Taylor, last season when we all spoke about the impact of Barcelona not making the last 16 of the Champions League? Mm-hmm. Well, that's because prize money was making up about 70% of their overall revenue that season. So that was a big issue for them that they didn't progress in the Champions League as they wanted. So... It's just, it's a weird, um, it's something that I struggle to get my head around from a business point of view is these giant clubs all kind of counting on these revenue streams that are so volatile, dependent on, like, you, you there could be millions of dollars of difference between someone missing a penalty and scoring a penalty in a game. Like, that that's wild from a business point of view. And actually, that leads to the Super League model where clubs are trying to eliminate that volatility. Yeah. Which sort of feels like, we are basing a lot of our operations on a thing that is very mercurial. So because of that poor business practice, we now need a different poor business practice that allows us the financial security to spend willy-nilly and maybe not have the accountability that would be required of a more disciplined organization. It is a a strange situation we find ourselves in in the modern football world. But, you know, just be a Premier League club and then you'll be totally fine and uh, never have to worry about money again. That's my takeaway from this episode, Graham. Yeah, Barcelona, be Southampton. That's the solution. (laughs) Oh, I laugh because it's kind of true when it comes to the financial picture. Less so the footballing picture. Uh, But Graham Ruffin, thank you, my friend, for wading once again into a confusing and murky world of, of numbers and financial reports to make sense of this one today. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. I enjoyed our, uh, our afternoon with uh, Scrooge McDuck together. (laughs) Me too. As always, I'm going to go put on my, my gold swimming trunks and then dive in and probably break a bone because I'm led to believe it is not easy to swim in a mound of coins. But we'll find out, Graham. I look forward to doing so with you. Listeners, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.